Hey, everybody, and welcome back to the John Reiner podcast. Uh, this is episode five, and I'm calling it So and So Begot So and So. <laughs> yeah, So and So Begot. So and so, I've uh, I've been working in this world of you know faith, uh, the church, spirituality um, for quite a while now, and um, over and over again, what I have found is that when people try to open the pages of this ancient Near Eastern book, or rather this ancient Near Eastern collection of books that we call the Bible. Um, yeah, somewhere along the line, they run into this wall or these walls in their reading. And it's uh, it's when they come in contact with one of these really long genealogies, right? Maybe you've been there. Um, they're scattered throughout the different books of the Bible. But these genealogies of, you know, it just goes through generation after generation of names that you probably can't pronounce. Um, and you're like, what in the world does this have to do with anything? It seems like the story was going in a particular direction and then boom, you're hit with one of these genealogies of so-and-so begot so-and-so who begot so-and-so who begot so-and-so. And, And, uh, if you're anything like most people, uh, maybe you just skipped it. Yeah, because I think a lot of people, they just get to those sections and they just skip them. And um, I was one of those people as well for a long time. Just get me back to the story. What does this have to do with anything? Well, it has to do with a lot. And that's the focus of this episode. Um, Those genealogies have to do with a lot and just might be more profound than we give them credit for. And so my hope is that by the end of this episode, you have a greater appreciation for those genealogies, for those so-and-so who begot so-and-sos. But first, um, my life in the last two weeks has been fairly eventful. I know you're wondering, but my life has been fairly eventful for uh, two reasons. One, it was my birthday. And if you know anything about me, if you've listened to the previous episodes, um, particularly the uh, Did God Just Tell Us to Party (laughs) episode, then you know that I love to celebrate. I love taking advantage of any opportunity to celebrate things. And so it was my birthday. I turned 36 years old. Um, But that was on the 25th of March. So you can remember that for next year. But um, on the 12th of March, my wife and I welcomed our third, yes, third daughter into this world. I am, uh, as of right now, 100% a girl dad. I am 100% a girl dad. I have a five-year-old girl, a three-year-old girl, and now a two-week-old girl. Um, I am in a house of girls, and so I'm girl dad 100%. And so uh, we had our third daughter, little peanut Lillian, Nicole Reiner, Lillian Nicole Reiner, call her baby Lily. And she was, uh, and still is absolutely a peanut. I mean, uh, my wife had to be induced a couple weeks early. Um, but all of our daughters have been rather small. So baby Lily was born five pounds, five ounces. And so, um, you know, I mean, this baby fits in half of my arm, you know, 
um, a half of my forearm, really. And so I remember the first couple of days of this last uh, couple of weeks of holding her. Um, I would take the the night shift. And, um, you know, my wife is able to sleep. I can hold Lily so that, you know, she calms down and she's able to sleep. If you're a parent out there, you know, you know that struggle I'm talking about. Um, she gets to fall asleep. Everyone's asleep. And so in the dead of night, I am just, you know, sitting up, maybe watching a movie or something, holding baby Lily. And um, there have been multiple moments when I just look down at her and it's like one of those moments of pure joy and terror all in the same time. Cause you're like, Oh my gosh, I love you. I didn't know how I could love a second daughter after we had our first daughter. Um, you know, our first is, is Evie. Our second is Ruthie. Um, I didn't know how I could love another, uh, a second one after, you know, Evie. I was, I was worried, like, can I really love another kid? Can I love another one as much as I love this first one? And then Ruthie came along and, oh my gosh, I love Ruthie, her personality, her, her spunk. She has got some attitude that is funny. I know she's going to be an incredibly strong female leader and that excites me about her. And so I have these two little girls, you know, for the last three years, uh, and then, now little baby Lily comes and there's that hesitation of, okay, well, can I, can I love a third uh, baby as much? And then she comes and I'm, and I'm holding her and I look at her and I absolutely know that I can love her. I absolutely know that I can love her. But it's one of those parental moments when you look down and you almost make this covenant. I will do whatever I possibly can to take care of you to be strong for you, to provide for you, to protect you, to defend you, to encourage you, to support you. I will do everything I possibly can with the amount of wisdom and understanding and knowledge that I have um, to try to set you up to succeed in this life. And it's like I'm looking at her making this covenant. I will do everything I can um, for you. And that reminds me of uh, a story from the ancient Near Eastern book of Genesis. So uh, if you go about halfway through the book of Genesis, um, you know, for the first 11 chapters, things are pretty weird. <laughs> they are pretty weird. I'm going to be honest with you. Those first 11 chapters are fairly weird. Um, you have this incredible creation narrative story. Uh, then you have this fall. Um, you have uh, basically a lot of stories of beginnings, right? The beginning of, of matter, the beginning of humanity, the beginning of animals and vegetation, the sky and, and all of that. You have the, you have the beginning of, um, I mean, human error, the beginning of what you might call evil. Um, you have the beginning of rebellion. You have the beginning of shame in the first few chapters of Genesis. Then you have the beginning of murder. I mean, it only, it only went four chapters in before someone killed someone else. Um, you have the beginning of murder. Then you have this worldwide flood that apparently takes place, this, this flood that covers, um, you know, I have no idea how far this, this flood apparently covers. Um, but you have this ancient Near Eastern story, this account of a flood. And then you have the, um, you know, the story of beginnings uh, and the story of the beginning of cultures and languages um, in this first 11 
chapters of the Bible. And and if you try to study it historically, um, there's really no comparative or correlative date that's set. That's like, oh yeah, we can look at um, extra biblical um, history and say these events took place at this date. Now, some people try to look at it and say, oh, the flood happened at this date or creation happened on this date and, and whatever you might be. Um, but it's not until really Genesis chapter 12 um, that we have uh, a name and a place and a correlative idea to the rest of human history outside of the biblical story um, because we're introduced to a man named Abram. Now, he's going to he's gonna be called Abraham later on, and so for the rest of this podcast, I'm probably just going to call him Abraham because I don't want to keep going back and forth. Um, so you have this man named Abraham, and he's from a city called Ur of the Chaldees. Well, Ur of the Chaldees was actually a pretty well-known ancient Near Eastern Mesopotamian city. And so when, uh, you know, you overlay the two layers of this biblical narrative and human history, now all of a sudden we have a marker. We have a, oh, Ur of the Chaldees. We understand that. Um, it was a pretty well-known city, uh, pretty uh, large, almost, um, you know, metropolis of a city. Um, and then you're introduced to this man named Abram. And right before it happens, right, right before you're, you're introduced to this, um, you know, up until that point, you've already had a couple of these genealogies, these so-and-sos begot so-and-sos begot so-and-sos. And although I'm sure there's a whole list of things that we can get from these genealogies, there's three things that really stand out to me. And the first one is that when you find one of these genealogies, if you're reading through the Bible, if you're reading through these ancient Near Eastern texts and you find a genealogy, um, know this. The story is about to change. Yeah, the focus of the story is about to take a turn. Um, you might have the buildup of things happening and things happening, things happening, and then it's almost as if you turn a page and it's so-and-so begot so-and-so who begot so-and-so, and there's a genealogy. And it's almost as if the beginning of this ancient Near Eastern story is a giant spotlight. And then with every single genealogy, with every so-and-so begot another so-and-so, that spotlight gets a little bit smaller and a little bit more focused on the story moving forward. And so if you find yourself um, reading a genealogy in the Bible, know something is about to change. We're going in a very different, specific direction. And that happens leading up to the introduction of Abraham in Ur of the Chaldees. And what happens is Abraham is living his life, you know? He's doing his thing. Um, chances are he's probably lived in Ur for a long time um, because people didn't leave. That's going to be an important thing to take note of uh, here in a little bit. But people didn't leave their hometowns in the ancient Near Eastern world, for the most part. Um, you know, they didn't have this expansive idea of the world that we have today. People didn't, you know, get on a plane and go across the country for school. That didn't happen, right? Um, you didn't, um, you know, you didn't go on ZipRecruiter and, and find a new job somewhere else. You didn't, um, you didn't do that. You didn't, you didn't find a job, an interview for a job on the other side of the globe, most of your world took place in probably the same place that your parents' world took place and your grandparents' world took place and their parents' world took place. You probably didn't leave because this ancient world was very cyclical. Um, you were typically born in a city, raised in that city, lived in that city, worked in that city, grew old in that city, had a family in that city, died in that city. Um, 
And, and so much so that there's also the spiritual idea, not just that the world wasn't as expansive as we see it today, but there's also the spiritual almost um, view of family. You know, we have a very hard line between living and dead nowadays, right? You're either alive or you're not. Um, now, those in the medical field will, will walk that fine line um, between the living and the dead. For, but for the most part, those of us, you know, you're alive or you're not. Um, but in the ancient Near Eastern world, when someone passed away, when someone died, um, they recognized in a sense that they were gone, but it was a much more fluid state of the in-between, of a much more fluid state of being dead. So much so that it was very common um, for your, you know, parents, grandparents to be buried underneath, you know, the porch, buried underneath the house. And they still believed, uh, many people in their culture, that you had to take care of them. And so you would, um, you know, you would actually put food and water out underneath there for, for the parents and grandparents. Um, you know, <laughs> it puts a whole new meeting to the, uh, kids, you know, don't make so much noise. You'll wake up grandma and grandpa, um, because they believe that they're still somewhat there. Point of all this being is that you didn't leave somewhere. Your roots, your roots were deep in where you came from. Mm. <laughs> your roots were deep in where you came from. And so what happens in this Genesis narrative is that this divine comes to this man, Abraham, and says, follow me. <laughs> he says, leave everything. Leave everything you've ever known. Leave your home. Leave um, you know, your estate, maybe your job, maybe your fields, your crops, your livestock, whatever your business. Leave everything, you and your family, and come follow me to a land that I will show you. And that's it. There wasn't like a, a you know, okay, well, what is that land called? Um, where are we going? How long is it going to take? Uh, no, none of those answers. It was just a leave everything you've ever known and follow me to a land that I will bring you. Now, up until this point, Abraham is married to a, a woman named Sarah. She'll, her, she'll later on be called Sarah. So again, I'm just going to call her Sarah from the beginning. Um, but you have Abraham and Sarah. And, um, you know, the honest truth of it is, is that these two have, have struggled with infertility for years and years and years. Now, this ancient Near Eastern way of explaining things is fairly brutal, um, is that they never really placed the blame for infertility on men in the ancient Near Eastern world, ever, right? Of course not. It was always um, a woman. The woman is barren. Her womb is dead. Um, it, they never talked about the man. They never talked about sperm count. They never talked about anything like that. No, 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 no. It was just the woman. The woman is barren. Well, nonetheless, that's not the point of this, but I thought I'd throw it out there. So, uh, they're struggling with infertility for whatever reason. Um, they're struggling with infertility. They are not able to have a child. And yet this divine has the audacity to speak into that very topic that I'm sure is a sensitive topic. Um, because having an heir and having kids was a big deal. It's a big deal today, but it was a big deal then. It was a future caretaker. It was someone to help you in your business. It was someone to carry on your family name. Um, having a child was a big deal. Um, and Abraham and Sarah weren't able to have one. And so the divine is inviting Abraham and Sarah to leave the cycle that they've always known. 
to leave the cycle that they've always known, to step away from the cycle that they've always known, to, to, to venture out and go against the cultural norm. They invited them, he invited them, the divine invited them to go on a journey um, to somewhere that they had no idea where they were going. And they do it. And this divine says to this couple battling with infertility, uh, you will have descendants. I am promising you that even though you're leaving one land, I'm going to give you an incredibly beautiful land. And even though you don't have descendants, I am going to make you uh, a family of descendants that are as numerous as the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore. And, and even though you feel like you are leaving without the blessing of your family and your neighbors and your friends and the generations before you, um, I will make you a blessing to all nations of the earth. That was the invitation. I don't know where I'm going. And the divine's not telling you where you're going, but he's inviting you to go somewhere. <laughs> and so Abraham does it. He does it. And he follows somehow. I don't know what this looks like. I think sometimes we have this over-spiritualized, um, you know, idea in our head that there was just this guiding GPS voice all the time. Turn here, go 10 hundred miles, then turn left. I don't know that that was the case. I don't know what it means for these ancient Near Eastern individuals in the Bible to say that they were following God. Maybe it looks like what we try to do today is we follow God. Maybe it's those, those impressions. Maybe it's a loud voice. I don't know what it is. But it says that he followed him. He followed the divine to destination unknown. Yeah. And then, so if that's Genesis chapter 12, you fast forward to Genesis chapter 15. And, um, you know, Abraham is starting to get a little um, discouraged. Um, maybe he's questioning this whole thing. Primarily because he still doesn't have a child. Yeah, he's following the, the divine and not, still not seeing the fruit of why he's doing it. Oh, oh, did you hear that? Did you hear that? He is following the divine and yet still not necessarily seeing the fruit of doing it. And so he has this conversation with the Lord and it said, it says in Genesis chapter 15, um, the word of the divine came to Abraham in a vision and said, don't be afraid, Abraham. I am your shield. I am your very great reward. And I love how Abraham responds because he doesn't say, oh, phew, thanks. I was starting to get worried. Oh, that's so reassuring. That, that makes my heart so glad. Oh, 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 all the feels. Thank you. No, no. Abraham responds and, and says, uh, sovereign Lord, what can you give me? since I still remain childless. What can you possibly give me? Because you still haven't given me the thing that you promised to give me. What can you say that, how can you say that you are my great reward? <laughs> You're my great reward, but I left everything and I still don't have the thing that you promised that I was going to have. So how are you my shield and my great reward? He goes on to say, someone else in my house is going to um, inherit my estate. Someone else, not my own child. 
Yeah, a distant relation, a servant in the house is going to, is going to inherit everything. You've given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. How can you be my reward? I still haven't seen the thing that you promised. I mean, I wonder if Abraham's like, why am I still doing this? Why, why am I still following this voice, this thing, this impression, this source, this life? Why am I still following this divine that I'm not even sure what, what this thing is, what or who this thing is? What, why am I still doing this? Because I'm still not seeing the fruit of the thing that I thought was supposed to come by following the thing that's before all things. I don't understand why you can say that you're my reward when I still haven't gotten the first one. It says that the word of God came to him. This, this man, this servant in your house will not be your heir, but a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. I wonder if that's just pushing. Like, is that just pushing on this wound? Stop saying it, right? I wonder if Abraham's like, just stop saying that. Stop. It hurts too much. It hurts too much to keep going back to my wife month after month after month and saying it's going to happen. It's too hard. It's too hard to keep trying to tell my wife that there's a reason why we're following you. It is too hard to not get burnt out on this idea that I'm doing the right thing because I'm still not seeing the fruit of it. Why am I doing this when I don't see anything coming from it? He says, this man will not be your heir, but a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. And then the divine took him outside. This God, this Yahweh, this Elohim, this Adonai, this, this God said, look up at the sky and count the stars. If indeed you can count them. And they said to him, so shall your offspring be. I, I, this next verse is a powerful verse. But if I just insert myself in this story, I'm still having a hard time hanging on. I mean, what about you? You ever felt like you were trying to follow the divine and you weren't seeing any of the fruit of it? Why am I doing this? If I can't see it, why am I doing this? If it doesn't seem to be making a difference, if it doesn't seem to be producing anything, if it doesn't seem to actually come to fruition what you said was going to happen, then why am I doing this? And yet Abraham, um, it says that Abraham believed the Lord and he credited it to him as righteousness. He also said that I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldees to give you this land to take possession of it. Abraham says, but how, how can I know that I'm going to gain possession of it? And then I'm not going to go into all the gory details of this, but, but there's this, this ceremony, this covenant ceremony that takes place where, where um, the divine instructs Abraham to, to bring, um, there's really no way of getting around it, to, to bring these animals and to, to sacrifice them. He says to cut them in half. It's a, it's, a, it's a very brutal, aggressive picture. But he takes these animals and he cuts them in two and he arranges the halves on each side of each other. There's a, there's a heifer, a goat, a ram, um, and a dove and a pigeon. I mean, this is in the ancient world, this is a fortune worth of animal, of livestock. And, and he has them cut in half and, and, and there's almost this path in between them. And, and, and this divine 
um, goes in between these halves, this covenant ceremony. Now, covenant was a pretty big deal. People would go into covenants. Um, but the idea of this covenant is almost, um, you know, one of the impressions. Why is it so gory? One of the impressions is almost, um, let my fate be the same as these animals if I don't uphold my end of this covenant. It's a very strong, right, visual picture. Um, I will uphold my end of this. I will do what I promise to do. Whether you can see it or not, whether you realize it or not, whether you recognize it or not, whether you are always aware of it or not, I will uphold my end of this. I will be faithful is what the divine is saying to Abraham. But before um, that ceremony is complete, it says that Abraham fell into a deep sleep. A thick and dreadful darkness came over him. No idea what that means. I'll be honest, no idea what that means. Um, but then the Lord said to him, the divine said to him, know for certain that for 400 years, your descendants will be strangers in a country that's not their own and they will be enslaved and they will be mistreated there. I mean, um, right now it's, uh, it's what March, uh, the end of March, beginning of April right now. Um, last week, um, was the Jewish holiday of Passover. Um, the story of the deliverance of the people of Israel out of their Egyptian enslavement, right? How the divine comes and, and delivers them from their enslavement. In, in many ways, the actual entire story of faith, the entire story of the Bible encapsulated into one narrative in the Exodus. Um, what is the divine saying to Abraham? He's, he's telling them that, that, that know for certain for 400 years, your descendants will be strangers in a country that's not their own and they will be enslaved and mistreated there. He is telling Abraham who doesn't even have one kid that there will come a day when your descendants will be in a land that's not their own for 400 years and they will be mistreated there. They will be enslaved there. Yeah. Um, but then the divine says, but I will punish the nation that they serve as slaves. And afterward, they will come out with great possessions. <laughs> as Abraham is taking this sleep, as he's, as he's in this sleep state, right? Uh, the divine is telling him something is going to happen hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years from now. I mean, he's saying that for 400 years, they're going to be enslaved. But he's never even seen one kid. And so the time that's going to take between this dream state that Abraham is having until that nation even goes into enslavement is going to be years and years and years from now. And then they're going to go into Egypt for 400 years and then they're going to be delivered out, right? Um, we're talking about hundreds and hundreds of years from now. The divine is telling Abraham this. But then he says, um, but you, however, will go to your ancestors in peace and you'll be buried at a good old age. <laughs> Why are you telling me this? Why are you telling me this? I don't even have one kid yet. But this divine, this God, this life, this source promised Abraham, I'm going to give you land even though you left your own. I'm going to bless you and make you a blessing to all nations of the earth even if you feel like you left without a blessing and I I'm going to give you descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore. And there will come a day 
when your descendants will grow so vast that for hundreds of years they're going to be enslaved. But I'm going to deliver them. I'm going to take care of them. I'll bring them out. Yeah, I'll rise up and I will deliver them and I will crush the nation that enslaved them. All that's going to happen, Abraham. All that's going to take place. It's all going to come from you. Yeah, and there will be a day um, when all of those individuals will call themselves sons of Abraham. But then what has to happen? Abraham's got to wake up. And Abraham wakes up back in the world where he has no son and no kids and no sign that God has kept any one of his promises. And he's got to get up. He's got to keep walking. And he's got to keep living. And he's got to keep obeying. And he's got to keep following. The divine told him of things that are going to come. But he's got to live in the now, in the present. And he's never going to see it. He'll never see them go into their own promised land. He'll never see them grow to be descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky or the sand on the sea. He will never see them fully be a blessing to all nations of the earth. In other words, friends, hear me out on this. The divine is calling him to live a life in order to bring about something that he'll never see. Is that encouraging or discouraging to you? The divine is calling Abraham to live a life in such a way that he will never see the outcome of. He promises he's going to take care of these descendants that he has and he'll bring them out with victory and he'll bring them out with possessions and he'll bring them out with great praise and he'll bring them out with provision and protection and he'll bring them out and bring them to this promised land, but Abraham will never see it. And then it's almost like, okay, Abraham, wake up. Let's keep going. Yeah, and then it happens, doesn't it? I mean, Abraham has a son, Isaac. Isaac has a son, Jacob, and a son, Esau. And Jacob's name is turned into Israel. And then Israel has a bunch of sons. And those bunch of sons turn into the tribes of Israel. And then they go into Egypt. For 400 years, the, the narrative goes on to tell us that for 400 years, they're in a nation that's not their own, and then they're delivered out by the hand of this man named Moses. And then those people go on to, to uh, come out of Egypt, out of their enslavement, just as God said would happen. And they wander in the wilderness, and they struggle to be faithful to God. Abraham's long gone. Eventually, they make it to their promised land. And eventually they establish a kingdom and eventually down the line they bring forth this man named Jesus. And the Jesus story comes from the Abraham story. And you know how we know that? Because <laughs> you open up the book of Matthew. And the book of Matthew starts with what? One of those so-and-so begot so-and-sos begot so-and-sos. And Jesus' so-and-so begot so-and-so goes all the way back to a man named Abraham who had a sleep, <laughs> took a rest, had a dream, 
And God said, I'm not just going to give you one descendant. I'm going to give you so many descendants, you can't even count them. And I'm going to take care of them. And I'm going to bring them to their land of blessing. And I'm going to bless them. And every nation that blesses them, I'm going to bless. And every nation that curses them, I'm going to curse. And I'm going to make them vast. And I'm going to give them a land. I'm going to take care of them, but you'll never see it. So will you still wake up and keep going with me, Abraham? Will you wake up from the sleep and keep living with me, keep following me, keep pressing in even when you don't see it? (laughs) And so Jesus' story in the book of Matthew starts with so-and-so begot so-and-so all the way back to Abraham. Abraham never saw it. But it happened. And it makes me think of that moment holding Lily, holding Ruthie, holding Evie. To be quite honest with you, it makes me think about the whole word of legacy. What am I doing with my life today that will echo for generations to come? You see, the point of the genealogies was to tell you that the story is changing. That was one thing that it did. Yeah. Another thing that it did is it actually helped keep time. Yeah, keep time. What does that mean, keep time? I had the honor of sitting down with um, an ancient Near Eastern historian from the University of Wisconsin-La Crosse. His name is Dr. Mark Chevalis. And uh, we were talking about the book of Genesis. And uh, he was he was on an archaeology dig, which that in of itself is just a fantastic thing to be able to say about yourself. But he was on an archaeology dig and he was sitting there with one of the, one of the natives, a young man from the area where the dig was taking place. And, and they were talking about how old each other were. And, and the, 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 the young man from this country asked, uh, Dr. Chevalis and, and, and he said, uh, you know, I'm such and such age old. And, and Dr. Chevalis returned the question, how old are you? And he said, I don't know. And Dr. Chevalis thought this was a funny, you know, so, somewhat of an odd response. What do you mean you don't know how old you are, you know? Um, you know, here in America, we can say, I was born on this date, on this year. Uh, it was this day of the week. At this time, we have exact numbers, you know? Um, and so he he kind of gave that response. What do you mean you don't know? I could tell you exactly what day and time and, and year I was born. And and the the young man's response was, but how many fathers can you tell? And Dr. Shabbat, this Dr. Shabbat says, what do you mean how many fathers? He says, but how many fathers can you tell? And this young man could sit there and say, I'm the son of so-and-so who's the son of so-and-so who's the son of so-and-so who is the son of so-and-so. In other words, they kept time, not by birth dates necessarily, but generations, they found their identity in those who had gone before them. Every single chain on that link of a so-and-so begot so-and-so begot so-and-so added something, contributed something, right? Followed the story as the spotlight focused more and more and more. As the spotlight changed, as the story progressed and evolved, each link, each name contributed something else to the story as it kept on going. Are you hearing me on this? 
And so even though we in the Western world could say, well, I'm, I'm 36 years old because I was born on March 25th, 1985. Um, I couldn't tell you three generations of people in my life. I couldn't tell you beyond three generations. But in the ancient world, and even just in places in the world that's not us, they keep track of time and they know who they are because of who has gone before them. I'm the son of so-and-so who's the son of so-and-so. Jesus, this, this Jesus of the Gospels, um, would have been able to say that I'm the son of so-and-so who's the son of so-and-so who's the son of so-and-so who's the son of Abraham. Do you hear me? Abraham, wake up. I need you to follow me in the midst of not seeing the fruit of what I promised you. I need you to wake up. I'm going to show you a dream, but then I need you to wake up. And you're going to need to walk with me today and tomorrow and the next day, even if you never see the fruit of the thing that you're following me for. If you never see the fruit of what it is that I called you to, someone else will. It's almost as if one of the greatest lessons we learn from those so-and-sos begot so-and-sos begot so-and-sos is that your life matters not only for yourself, but for those who will come after you. That is the production of a legacy. Why am I still following you? Why am I still living this way? Why do I still believe that you're going to give me these descendants and this land and this blessing? Why am I still doing this? Let me show you a dream, Abraham. And then hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years later, this Jesus walking the earth could say, I'm the son of Joseph, who's the son of so-and-so, who's the son of so-and-so, who's the son of so-and-so, who's the son of Abraham. What you do today, friends, matters not just for your own life, but for those who come after you. Yeah. Yeah, genealogy changes the story. Genealogy shifts the time and a genealogy shows us where we came from. So often I hear people, especially young people saying things like, I just need to go find myself, right? I need to go find myself, which often means I have to separate myself from everything else. Um, I need to separate myself from everything else. I need to leave my family, leave this, leave that. I need to go off on my own to find out who I am. And um, I get it to an extent. But I think one of the other things that the so-and-so begot so-and-so shows us is that, yeah, even though the story changes, and yeah, even though Abraham was called um, to leave, he still brought part of his family with him. <laughs> Those genealogies show us where we came from. So as I was holding baby Lily and realizing that I could love another girl, oh, another princess party, another, I, I mean, this is totally off subject, but I, I looked at my wife and said, oh my goodness, I'm going to have to pay for three weddings. <laughs> so as I'm holding her and, and I'm realizing, yeah, I can love, I can love one daughter really well. I can love two daughters really well. I'm holding Lily and I'm realizing I can hold, I, I can love you really well. And I will. And in that moment, I made my own covenant, my own vow to her. I didn't, uh, you know, gruesomely split any animals in half, but I made this vow to her that I would do everything I could to love her well. 
to serve her well, to protect her, to provide for her, to encourage her, to support her, to make her the greatest version of herself that she could possibly be, that I would do everything I could. Oh, that I would do everything I could to love her well. And my hope with all three of my daughters, my hope is that my life is something greater than just me. Don't you? I hope that my life is something much greater than just me. I hope that there comes a day when my daughters say, I am the daughter of John Reiner. <laughs> and that their kids say that I am the, I'm the son or the daughter of, of Ruthie or Evie or Lily, who are the daughters of John. Do you get it? I may never see the fullness of the life that they bring about. I may never see the fullness of the promises that the divine has for them. I may never see the full fruit of the generations and generations and generations to come. But today matters, my friends. Tomorrow matters, my friends. The way that I live my life today matters because I hope that it echoes for generations to come, that I might be one link, one so-and-so who begot so-and-so in the link of a legacy that goes on where the world is changed because of people that were loved well. Do you hear me? Do you hear me, friends? You, maybe you're single and you're not, uh, you're not anywhere near having kids. Maybe you don't want kids. It, it, maybe that's not in your cards. Maybe you don't want that to be in your cards. Um, maybe you're still holding on to some other promise that you feel like God has given you that you're still not seeing the fruit of. May you know that today matters and tomorrow matters and what you do matters because you are still building a link, a chain, and a whole legacy of a so-and-so that begot a so-and-so. Because maybe, maybe you will have children one day. Maybe you won't, but your influence will expand beyond biological lines. Maybe what you do today will impact more people than you have ever thought possible. And the way that you live today matters because so-and-so begot so-and-so who eventually begot you. And you will leave a legacy of your own. <laughs> so-and-so begot so-and-so. May you look at those genealogies different. May you see them as a changing of a story. May you see them as the recording of time. And may you see them as a chain of where things have come from. May you also, my friends, choose today to live as if everything matters. <laughs> may you live, if you are a spouse, may you know that the impact of things that you do, the way that you treat your spouse today matters tomorrow and the next day and the next day because you are creating a legacy of what it means to be a husband and a wife. May you, if you are single, know that your actions matter because today and tomorrow and the next day you are building a legacy of a so-and-so who begot a so-and-so and your influence matters. May you live faithfully following the divine wherever uh, the divine might lead you because you are going somewhere that you don't know, but there will be fruit even if you don't see it. And if you are a parent, may you know that your impact on your children's life matters because you are a so-and-so who begots a so-and-so who begots a so-and-so, and you are one chain, one name, one link, and a legacy that is going to continue on. Oh, don't run from who you were. 
Don't run from your past. Oh, maybe you're like, I don't, I don't want to look at the so-and-sos who begot me because there's too much pain. There's too much, there's too much hurt. There's too much um, rejection. Yeah, I get that. It doesn't have to move forward claiming a definition over you. Yeah, it still absolutely impacts who you are, though. It is still contributed to the making of who you are. But maybe the spotlight can shift. Yeah, I'm the so-and-so of so-and-so who's the so-and-so of someone else. Um, but the spotlight has changed and the story's going in a different direction. That's okay. Yeah, that's okay. May you know, nonetheless, that your life matters today. Your choices matter today and tomorrow and the next day because you are creating a legacy, my friend, of a so-and-so who begots a so-and-so who begots a so-and-so. And so even if you do not see the fruit of it today, may you wake up. <laughs> may you wake up full of faith and hope in the promise that something beautiful is going to come and may you keep on going and keep on living and keep on believing and keep on keep on keeping on um, because you are creating a legacy of a so-and-so who begots a so-and-so. You came from somewhere and you are going somewhere. You are helping to build a legacy and may you, my friends, do it well. <laughs> oh, these are fun. These are fun. That's it for episode five of the John Reiner podcast. So-and-so begot so-and-so. As always, you can find me on Instagram and Facebook at the John Reiner. Um, hit me up there. You can go to the website, thejohnreiner.com uh, and get more information uh, about what we're doing. And you can fill out that uh, contact us page if you have any interest in inviting me to be a part of any of your events or uh, services or gatherings, whatever it might be. If you have a podcast and you're looking for a guest, uh, be happy happy to come along board. So please feel free to reach out. Let me know what you're doing and how I can serve you. But with that said, thank you as always, my friends, for tuning into the John Runner podcast until next time. <laughs>